At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. We are here, guys, with Jason Gusman and Aaron O'Brien, who are the team that uh, brought the graphic novel Return to Snake Land, which I'll show briefly, but no one else is going to see that, um, because it's just, it's an audio podcast, but, you, but you'll probably see it on the graphic. Um, Aaron was with us last year, uh, back in, God, I think it was February. It was either February or March. It was, yeah, I think it was March. Actually. It was just, just when COVID started and we were yeah. literally talking about like, maybe we need to start taking this seriously. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, shit. Wow. I remember uh, that conversation. Yeah. I remember that we actually had to go and like, uh, I think that night I actually had to leave here because there was a bit of a scare here and, uh, Oh really? That was yeah, the night. That okay. was the night. Yeah. yeah. That you thought, yeah. One of my roommates thought he had it. Right. And that was before we really knew anything, you know, about it. And it was way more scary. And yeah. Just was, beginning. Yeah. Really. Uh, the, I had to go back to my place. And that was the first, like, remote um, podcast that we did. And that was all the way to, like, September. And then we didn't really get back together in here until, like, March of, of this year. So. But here, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, back. I'm back, and it's just at the talent, hopefully. So, mm-hmm. but thanks for having uh, me back, and and Jason. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I, I stated before, I've been a huge fan of your show for a while. So, mm-hmm. um, I really, really dig you guys. So, yeah, well, we really appreciate you, and uh, you had us on. You helped us out with a little bit of promotion for uh, Strange Realities. You had us on the Synthaholics podcast not that long ago and like they're also a dune podcast the dune surfiel's a a, 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 a expert dune on dune yep and uh i think surfiel's read like all the books like he's one of the few yeah, not not all of his sons but i've read oh, like that gets weird yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've read like half of his sons right <laughs> yeah yes so return to snake land um Let's talk about this. And, and and Aaron had the chance last time to talk a lot about it. Jason, I want to kind of get your your views because Aaron is the artist and you are the writer. And I believe a lot of this comes from the, kind of your own personal recollections at the time. 
So what is Snakeland and what is Return to Snakeland about? We'll just kind of review for anybody that hasn't heard that episode. You guys can go back. Uh, that's probably like episode 1033 or something, right? Yeah, now. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you, guys, you guys can find that one. Uh, that's that's in the early 300s, I'm pretty sure, because it was it was kind of right after the 300th episode. But uh, yeah, so Snakeland and Return to Snakeland. Yeah, no, I mean, like for me, for me, when I started, when I started writing all of this stuff, is basically, uh, I had a blog that I was, I was posting on every so often. It was basically just the idea of, uh, you know, talking about the individual issues that cropped up in high school while I was there. You know, the 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 really you know more severe stuff, and then just trying to put it into uh, like a format or you know, some way that I could understand it because just looking back, it just seemed very unreal to me. It just seemed like, um, you know, all those, you know, all the murders and suicides and stuff. Uh, and as we found out later, you know, um, like, uh, sexual predators as well, um, was, was, uh, was, was all going on. And, and it just seemed crazy to me that all that could be happening, but yet at the same time, we were living a very uh, typical, you know, suburban life uh, as teenagers, you know, playing in bands and, and, um, you know, trying to date various girls and, uh, you know, whatever else, you know, might be going on. Um, but for me at the time, then uh, snake land was basically uh, just kind of a symbol for, for just everything that I was trying to figure out as an adult and put together, you know, in some, as I said, in some format, but return to snake land, um, very quickly, um, turned into, you know, something else. Once Aaron kind of, uh, announced himself, you know, and was like, you know, Hey, I, uh, Here I am. Yeah, more or less, more or less, you know, polite enough, you know, you've, you've talked to Aaron, you know, what he's like. but, um, but basically just that, um, uh, it took, it took on a whole, a whole different, a uh, whole different idea in terms of not, you know, just, just adding the art to it and specifically Aaron's art because it's very evocative and it mixes super well, uh, I feel, with the, uh, with the text. And it really, it really kind of just turned it into a whole, whole separate thing, you know, just really made the, uh, the writing itself come to life. So, so as, as far as the, as far as the work goes, I mean, I really consider it to be, totally separate and much, much better than the stuff I was working on that I was posting on the blog. Um, but, um, sorry. That's not true. Okay. Okay. Whatever, man. I'm a fan of Jason's writing. So that's why I illustrated it. So, yes, I mean, no, I mean, that's true, but I mean, we definitely have a, uh, a real like mutual admiration society going on, you know? So, because, uh, as I said, I really, I really think it, it turned it into something very different, but, um, the odd thing about it was, is that after putting it out and doing the whole, uh, you know, Return of Snakeland graphic novel, uh, it was still just this feeling that um, there was still more to say, that, that, that we had to dig deeper, um, most specifically in, uh, you know, what you guys have probably already heard then in the, uh, the first few episodes on the murder of uh, Kathy Harold. 
And, you know, because that still remains um, unsolved, you know, um, it's, it's very much, uh, and it's also wrapped up pretty, pretty deeply in the satanic panic lore of that time period. So it's, it's really the thread that the whole thing runs on. And because it is still unsolved, it's, it really inspired us to uh, really just keep rolling keep rolling and we found we found a lot more a lot more information a lot more gaps uh that you know we wanted to be filled but still you know for whatever reason can't seem to find all the details of but um still fascinating though man I still i still love doing it i really do mm-hmm. and, and jason um, how old were you when this happened like you were there in the high school uh when this was going on so like the r- roughly were the dates of all this Okay. Um, well, basically, like just to just to give you the idea, pretty much, I'm I'm 14 when this begins because I was born in December, so it just that you know everything's almost kind of like a uh, like a year pushed back. Like for for instance, we got the my sophomore year uh, where you normally think a kid would be 15 for the duration there and stuff, and I was I was 14 for most of that, but. Um, the sophomore year, 1985 through 1986, is when the lion's share of, of, of this stuff happens. And it begins really with um, that murder of, of Kathy Harold at Snake Land proper, which, you know, Aaron, you know, is the best, uh, the best source for actual material on uh, Snake Land, you know, as far as the actual buildings and stuff went. But she was she was murdered. There was definitely satanic overtones. And that was July 1st of 1985. So it was smack dab in the middle of summer vacation for us. And we came back um, in uh, September. Uh, she used to sit uh, right in front of me in the, you know, the homeroom that we had there. And that year we came back and she didn't. Um, and there wasn't really any discussion of it. We just found out about it, um, from other kids basically. And all the, you know, the rumors and everything else attached to it. Um, they just had us move up, you know, move up one desk in, uh, in a homeroom. And that was essentially, you know, all the notice that was paid. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty sad, honestly, and pretty, pretty crummy when you consider it, you know, just some, you know, 15 year old girl you know, murdered at that time. So, but soon after we got back to school, that's when, um, John justice, uh, killed his whole family and then, um, drove through, uh, drove through a, uh, uh, stoplight, uh, and ended up killing, uh, somebody else, totally innocent driver. But, um, but that was almost like this one, two punch. And although it was, uh, pretty shocking and stuff at the time. What's uh, most interesting to me about it was that how much, again, we, uh, we just seemed to, I don't want to say brush it off, but, but just really didn't, uh, we certainly weren't feeling threatened or afraid or filled with anxiety or anything like that. Um, but that's in and, in and of itself, that's pretty odd. You know I mean? When you consider, when you consider all that was happening and there was more of course, but get into that. Yeah. You guys do a really good job in the, in the graphic novel of kind of setting the time and the place and 
how these kind of these these murders and all this type of stuff that was going on really affected um really affected you and affected the other people the other people around you um and and aaron you kind of came a little bit after this like you i guess you had heard of some of this right but but you were familiar with snake land as well i i had moved into the area and i wanted to check out the creepiest place in my neighborhood so that's where i was i was led to and you know i heard the rumors i heard the stories about kathy harold and john justice and all the stuff so it you know it was it was you know interesting as a young kid and you know kind of scary too but um but yeah, I, I went and explored that area to, for Snake Land and the the grain elevators and stuff like that. So I got to actually, um, you know, take in all that visual information and um, what I could put into the graphic novel. So, and I have a reference on you know the size, the place, and the area. So, um, and and just so people know too, I mean, the the actual grain elevators were demolished back in I think two thousand or two thousand one. Mm-hmm. So, and you can look it up on YouTube called Stakeland Destroyed. So yeah. there's a, there's a good, uh, there's a good video for that. So, mm-hmm. well, so for anyone who, who hasn't listened to the episode with you on it, uh, do you want to give them a primer on what Snakeland is? Yeah. Well, Snakeland, uh, was a place, uh, an abandoned grain elevator, uh, two, two buildings side by side and by some tra- uh, railroad tracks and there were some fields and some like a, a, a wooded area nearby too. And the kids would go there to party. And uh, it, you know, it was wasn't a it, you know it wasn't a nice place, but it was just a place to get away from everything. And uh, of course, this is during the '80s, and you have a lot of metalheads going back there. So they're into Black Sabbath. They're into you know all sorts of stuff like Slayer and you know whatever other bands are out at the time. And they're doing pentagrams, uh, you know, upside down crosses. And who knows? I mean, there's a lot of talk of like satanic practices going back there. Me and Jason are somewhat skeptical. It's not that we don't think there was anything, but I think it was a lot of kids just having fun, drinking and, and just, just being silly. But, you know, maybe there were a couple people who were taking that a little more serious than others. Um, and of course with Kathy Harold and her own self, uh, murder was linked to this and uh, she was killed just outside snake land and a lot of people thought well it obviously was a satanist that killed her well you know we we have some differing ideas on this but uh and that's what our podcast that we're putting out is trying to explore so is that still kind of the rumor there in that area is that she was killed by a satanist well, it's that's one of them. The other one, as we get into, uh, I think the third episode of our podcast is the uh, bike path uh, rapist or killer, uh, and, and Timio Sanchez, uh, who was caught in 2007, and some of his murder style is similar to how um, Kathy was killed, but um, we 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 think a little differently about it. So, and we we explore, unfortunately, in depth of what Sanchez did and it's probably our yeah. least favorite discussion about that whole thing cuz it's just so so awful. So when did this uh this kind of like industrial park I guess when did it go out of operation? 1960 
five or I believe I believe you are correct. Yeah, yeah. It was it was uh it was sixty five the place uh the place closed, you know, for business, never reopened again for, you know, like any any uh you know, any kind of productive uh business type stuff. And um eventually, unfortunately, uh the death started happening before Kathy Harold, um midway through the nineteen seventies. I believe it was about midway through. What, what year was it, Aaron, that uh, Dan McCracken died? Like, uh, I think it was 70. I have to look it up again, but I think it's like 72 or 73 or something like that. Sure, sure. Yeah. But er, definitely earlier on. And and he was just uh, a 12-year-old kid who was playing in there uh, with his friends and uh, made uh, made the wrong choice, you know. And and as, as you know, I'm sure Aaron told you, as he, as he would tell you, uh, it was incredibly dangerous in there. You know, for 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 adults and or kids, you know, it's just it was just ridiculous. Um, but he um, he died and uh, from a fall, and then um, you kind of figure that something more would have happened at that point after you know one kid dies and that they 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 do something real to make sure, but it didn't work out that way. And then we had um, Joe F. Uh, we're calling him uh, was. Uh, another uh, well, he was really the the first the first suicide, the first of the Ken West suicides that we were tracing. Um, and he uh, it was 1981, and he he uh, he committed suicide by by jumping off a, a platform or something along those lines. Um, and so it is it is it is one of those situations like if if this was were like a Stephen King book, this would be why. Um, you know, other murders happened or anything else happened in Snakeland because, you know, once the, once Snakeland had a taste for blood, you know, like this would, you know, be like, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's reasoning for to continue to kill, you know, but the fact is, is just that sadly enough, I mean, it sounds like it was just, you know, another, you know, teenage suicide, you know, it, and, and, and what gets me about it is, you know, and we talk about this, uh, you know, through the podcast is, so you have this abandoned area that's, you know, obviously now two kids have died and now it's attracting kids to party and stuff like that, you know, and it gets to a point where like, what takes it, what, what does it take for public officials, police to, in all the, you know, anybody, your, your trusted guardians of your community to actually do something like this is, and, and we make a joke, but absentee landlord basically didn't take care of his property. Some business moved away, went bankrupt or whatever. And it just sat there a derelict for forever. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I can enjoy that as an urban explorer, but when you're talking sure. about like people actually like bad things happening to people, like what does it take, man? It's like, and it, it literally took, you know, 25 years for them to finally like demolish this thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's preposterous, you know? And so I, I, you know, I, I just, I, it makes you wonder like what the heck is wrong with the people who are supposed to be running the show, you know, right. it, it just, it, it infuriates me more and more as I get older, you know, when I was younger, it's like more cool. Cause it's right. like, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's danger. Right. Yeah. But now I'm just like, I mean, I have kids now and I'm like, what the hell is going on with you people? Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty shocking, you know, and, and one, you guys probably know this, this uh, phrase, I don't know who to attribute it to, but nature hates a purposeless 
thing. And basically that's what Snakeland was. I mean, it was basically just this empty, you know, I, I don't even know really like what a, what a good, a good word for it would be other than just, you know, you know what it, what it was, but it was vast and it had no purpose. And the purpose then eventually became um, beyond, you know, just, you know, a place for people to, people to die. It was a, it was a place to party, you know, the way that a lot of abandoned places become a place to party, you know, well, but, and it had been like a few generations by that time. Right. As we understand it. Yeah. I mean, the earliest we, we have information about that part of it would be when, uh, that Joe F person, uh, committed suicide, but pretty much from 81 straight on. And, and you got to figure this was happening in the seventies too, but we just don't have any records. Yeah. Um, but just that just constant, like, you know, just, this was the place to go and party and it had multiple uh multiple parts of it you know that people would go to and they all had names like what was it the uh, aaron you know this i think the uh the the stairway to heaven and the stairway to hell something sure, along yeah, that, on yeah. it. and then there was obviously the rungless ladder and the midget room and you know whatever was going down in the basement i mean it's it's, it's crazy to think about but but that's that's pretty much where, where it ended up being was just the, the place where everyone went to, uh, the party. Had this been like the, uh, the economic engine of a community previous to it being shut down? Yeah. So before, I mean, mm-hmm. and if you came to, I, I mean, I'm, you know, you, you guys probably have things similar to it, but we mm-hmm. have a ton of grain elevators, grain silos in the right. Buffalo, Western New York area. Um, sure. We had the Erie Canal, obviously that came through and, and came from uh, Albany to Buffalo. And, and then it would, Erie Canal connected to Lake Erie where they could ship out, you know, to Chicago or wherever, you know, Detroit. So we were like sort of a hub for a while for transportation, for grains, for cement and for other aggregates and stuff like that. So, you know, like all the railroad tracks were going through here and, and, uh, and the, you know, shipping and that lasted for a long time. And then uh, uh, I think um, uh, there's, there's another canal that was put up into Canada that kind of like made our, the Erie Canal sort of like moot. There was no point of it anymore. And it kind of was abandoned. Mm. Uh, we still had the train tracks and stuff like that. And, you know, that was like early, you know, 1900s going into, you know, the 1950s was the big boom. And then things slowly petered out over time. So you have now an economic decay. And so yeah. uh, the snake land, uh, the, the buildings, the, the screen silos were abandoned, uh, like 1965-ish in that time. Mm-hmm. And um, it just left to rot. And so you know, just literally crumbling giant behemoths of, of buildings. Yeah, I'm just I'm interested in that relationship that this was probably like a a place of that mid-century promise. Yeah. And then you get the slow economic decay by the 80s, probably deindustrializations in full swing and it becomes like it, its liminality is in the symbolism of the different economic ages too and it's like this this uh you know symbol of this industrial age that's gone and some of that nihilism really gets reflected in in the the children yeah, uh, because they don't have that promise anymore. Exactly. Yeah. A- a- excellent point. Say, that's, that's, that's a pretty good point right there. 
I mean, they're, absolutely. They're just hanging out and crawling all over this industrial wasteland. <laughs> well, sure, yeah. No, but I mean, Sir Phil, that's an excellent point, and that's exactly kind of what was happening. So you had all these opportunities, and that, and you know, I, I don't know how Jason felt, but mm-hmm. at a time you were like you grew up, and, and this was actually kind of the 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 genesis of John Justice that he was expected to get a job at a factory and just be, you know, a drone. And John Justice was, you know, very intelligent and he wanted to go to college and stuff like that. And his parents couldn't even see that there was that there was not, that was not part of their plan for him. And he was like, I, you know, I want to do more. So he went crazy. He wasn't right in the head and he was highly intelligent, but not right in the head. So he ended up murdering his family. But that being said, yeah, that has a lot to do with, you know, growing up, your parents had all these opportunities and all of a sudden like, where are these opportunities? Like, why am I, you know, not getting a good job? Why am I not seeing the opportunities I had before? And you disappeared. Yeah. The seventies and eighties, it really just went Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. And, and that is the rot, you know, you're seeing the rot of, uh, of an industrial, you know, Hmm. engine at one point and it just left. And that's, that's the other, it's just like, that's just left and people are just like, whatever you deal with it. Yeah. It's, I mean, well, it's, it's, what's funny about it is, is that, um, you know, I mean, Sirfield's point, I think it was, is really borne out, unfortunately, by like my family at the time, which was, uh, my dad was working for the, uh, General Motors powertrain and he had been laid off for about two years in the very early 80s and then started coming back on by the time 1984 rolled around you know that basically he went back to work and um it's actually it's actually kind of kind of unfortunate because he had in the meantime he had gone to community college to learn to do uh, to be honest with you i wasn't paying any attention at that time so i mean i don't know exactly what he what he was learning how to do but um but the fact is is that as soon as he got done then you know GM you know was was doing well enough that they called him back to work, and what was he going to do? I mean, like that in that area in that time period, like 1984, 85. You know what we've been talking about. Um, you weren't going to do better in our town. So the fact is, is that he went he went back. You know, and um, it's uh, I think I think that's also it's it's directly reflected in. Uh, John Justice and his parents, you know, who did factory work as well, and that you know, basically, we're just kind of looking at it like, you know, this was this was what we had to do, so it's what you're going to do. You know, there was very much that sense of you had two choices. You know, I mean, you could do you could go to the factory and do this, or you could, you know, I mean, there wasn't even the second choice wasn't even really delineated for you. It was just that, um, you know, it was it was grim. You know, there just there just weren't options as far as people saw them. Now, you know, again, other folks, you know, would just come in and say, like, I'm just going to go, you know, join a band and like or around and stuff. Or I'm going to go to the big city and just, you know, learn how to do something, you know, whatever it might be. You know, I mean that, you know, taking chances. But there's there was definitely a sense um, in that that time, especially of a real nihilism, as you as you had said. And uh and that just there were just no options, no no real uh, choices to be made. So, or at least that's the way it was made up here. Well, you've got some things going on in that time period, as far as 
um, you know, everything with like Reaganomics and the kind of the the whole neoliberal thing, closing down the factories, the more the emphasis on the service industry or the more the emphasis on like hedge funds and all the stuff that was going on in Wall Street. Um, and then you also, so you have this kind of crumbling um, industrial infrastructure like we've been talking about, but then you've also got the rise of the moral majority. And it seems like you've got, uh, you know, this contributes a lot to the satanic panic aspect of all this because you've got this increasing nihilism but then that feeds into the satanic panic and what's going on there so you know can't help but notice of course there is you know (laughs) a a a, a baphomet and um imagery on there so you guys do kind of within this graphic novel you guys do play with that whole satanic panic imagery and so was there was there an inkling of that with um you know john justice killing his family kathy harold's murder all these type of things that were going on where there were and also just the fact that i'm sure that there were some i don't know slayer was spray painted on a wall at snake land once or twice you know right. so more than know, that how, how did this <laughs> contribute to just like that general feeling of i guess the hysteria it's like a microcosm of the macrocosm of the hysteria of the times. Mm. Well, in one way you can look at it. It was just like, it was just that idea of like Satanism on a, um, like just on a, on a, you know, like day to day, like student kind of level, you know, not exactly encompassing the, uh, the real satanic panic, but just in general is that um, again, you know, without any options. And if you were, if you were, um, you know, I don't want to generalize about the head, but if you were if you were a head, um, he means metalheads, metalheads. Oh yeah, exactly. Heshers, headbangers, whatever they call them in your town. You know, you know the, the, the drill there. Um, a lot of those guys and girls didn't have a whole heck of a lot of options either. And with Satanism, you had you had danger, you had glamour, you know, to an extent. You had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just um, it's pure rebellion, pure rebellion. Oh no, and absolutely, and that too, just. Just by being present, you were rebelling against your parents, you know, and that's, you know, I mean, in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It just led to bad. Well, it's kind of interesting. I see this like strange loop being created because probably what was just a bunch of kids in a lot of places in America um, partying and spray painting satanic heavy metal graffiti would lead satanic investigators to use this as proof of some grand satanic conspiracy, which then, you know, gets broadcast through their media back to these metalheads or kids who may not have heard of this or that band until this (laughs) preacher on this VHS tape talks about Slayer and shows the album cover. It's a feedback loop. Yeah. So it's this weird, strange loop going on. Right. And, and that's exactly. So it's like, you know, it's, it is pure rebellion. And while I love the idea of, you know, uh, spray painting, you know, <laughs> upside down crosses and Slayer and Ozzy on, on things, I think that's wonderful. I'd pick um, different bands myself, but. Yeah, but, that, you know, I'm just saying I, I, I love it. I love mm-hmm. the I love the idea behind it and stuff like that. But it was probably purely horrifying to uh, a parent who probably grew up in the 1960s. 1950s and they're just like what is wrong with my children like what is going on 
And, and then, you know, you're seeing, or even if you, your, your kid, you have kids that aren't doing that, but then you're seeing other kids, you're like, oh my God, we, we have to protect them from this, you know? So that just, it just gets worse. And then the kids see it and they're like, Oh, what's that about? And so they got to check that out. So, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's a feedback loop. It just keeps on getting worse. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, and me and Jason have talked, I mean, I'm sure there are some people who are really into the Satanism side of it, but it seems like most of them are just there to have a good time, you know, just to just go back there and party with their friends, you know, smoke some weed, drink and stuff like that, you know, but I mean, somebody took things too far, you know, so. Just, it's just as, as, as simple as that. And it's the same thing with, uh, you know, we were speaking a little bit before we got started about um, the, the sons of Sam, a documentary that had come out and you got a similar situation, just a, um, some sort of, you know, abandoned way station full of, uh, satanic, uh, iconography and stuff. And, uh, and, you know, like murdered, you know, German shepherds and, and all, all these kinds of things. But, um, but unfortunately, you know, I just, again, um, no matter, no matter how you slice it, whether you believe their, their theory or not, you know, just in terms of, you know, about that David Berkowitz was absolutely helped along, you know, the the fact that he was even there is, you know, just kind of shows it to be that this, this was more than just once again, Mm -hmm. like a place to party. It was something, something actually, you know, damaging, you know, actually dangerous, not just in, in the, um, you know, the grand scheme of like, uh, you know, Satan figure. To continue on this for a little bit before we get to Kathy um, and some of the details of that murder, um, I do kind of just want to point out how the idea of youth being a separate thing itself is kind of like a, a 20th century creation of the Western world, and then this idea of teen that being you know a teenager is really like a specifically American mid-century thing where teenagers you know, get to get their own world. And that's often, uh, you know, tied up in, in different subcultures. And because they are trying to create their own world, they seek out and have seems to always seek out these liminal spaces. I don't, I don't know if the kids do it now because of technology, et cetera. But, um, I mean, I know when I was growing up, I mean, that's, that's what we did. And I grew up with a lot of metalheads too, and, and punk rockers and stuff. And, no matter what subculture the kids were into, they seek out these liminal spaces to like create their own worlds and their own orders. And to go along with that, I mean, it, I think that's exactly what happens. You know, they're just escaping mm-hmm. from their parents or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, their teachers and whoever else. So they're trying to find a space um, to, to, to escape to. Nowadays, I think you're right. I don't think as many kids are exploring those things. I think they're going into cyberspace and and they're going on to their you know games and they can talk mm-hmm. uh, talk on their games and they can create their own worlds and their own like you know things going on. So mm-hmm. it's a different thing. And um, sure, it's maybe more safe physically, maybe not mentally, but I don't you know whatever you know. I mean, we're all just you know learning to find some sort of um, uh, escapism at that time because you know. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're a teenager, you see the burden of adulthood coming at you 
it is going to crush you at some point, right? <laughs> so uh, you know that you better get the most out of this this time as much as possible. So, and um, sure. I think the people that's in Snakeland, I mean, the ones that were just there to have a good time, probably got the most out of their 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 teen years compared mm-hmm. to most. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think I think again, you know, for the for the most part, you know, overall, you can absolutely you can absolutely say that about about those kids. And I used to think, um, and this doesn't this doesn't directly, you know, this is more just like you know the whole idea of teenagers in general, or just teenagers in America, you know, like the whole thing, and like you know how we used to break ourselves up into these little tribes of like punk rockers or heads. Or, you know, the drama kids or the docs, you know, and like these these kinds of things was like it was this process of discovering ourselves in a way. But but also I, I used to think, honestly, that the period of like being a teenager, even though it was annoying to everybody else around, was actually kind of like a sacred time in yeah. your life, you know, where where you 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 made some determinations about, you know, who you were going to be and, and, uh, and, you know, and really what you wanted and what you didn't want and that, and that sort of thing. And if you were like us, you were planning your escape, you know, so that you didn't have to go to the factory. You know, that kind of thing. And, um, and I, I used to think of it as like a very sacred time in our lives. I don't really feel that way anymore. You know, kind of the way that, I look back on that stuff now and obviously, you know, um, got a lot of it out in the actual writing of uh, Return to Snakeland, you know, like the graphic novel. Um, but just just that uh, it seems like it's, it's not so much um, like that's a common thing, that idea of like a, you know, a sacred process of like, you know, defining yourself. It's not like some kids do decide to do that and some kids do use that time period for that and other kids don't you know so it's it's just uh it's taken on a, a different uh a different mm-hmm. way for me and when my grandkids actually become teenagers i'm sure i'm going to feel entirely different by then anyway <laughs> but you know um it's it's just it's um it's a whole it's a whole uh whole different thing i think really yeah you know, we're yeah. talking about though it's initiatory we do have formal rituals like i guess high school graduation prom things like that but for you know they don't they they lack some of the danger especially especially that young men are looking for um there's a guy uh peter lamborn wilson who's like a radical sufi he hates the idea of drug legalization and even marijuana legalization because he's like this is the really the only thing that's almost universal for kids to go through some kind of initiatory process where they're like, there's danger involved, there's secrecy. There's like, you know, so, so there's people are seeking to do the same coming of age things that they've always done. And they'll just use whatever culture and things are around them to do that, especially with things like heavy metal. I mean, and, and youth subcultures of the time, they're like, they're little, little mini warrior cults, you know, like, Oh yeah, no, 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 absolutely. And, and I don't think you see that at least not around music anymore i mean kids are gonna right, find right. ways to you know like treat each other like shit no matter what but that just with, <laughs> with with the music cults you know the way we were broken up was just like very much like you know that's you know you identified with your little tribe and as far as it went um and this is apparent through the you know the the, the book and and the podcast 
the um the my tribe was very small and the heads tribe was very big and that's why a lot of it too was like just coming at it from being like a total outsider to that um like you know just that that tribal way of life that it really was just much more so about kathy's murder and about you know uh, again the uh, the uh, the ideas or the uh, uh, the uh, interesting stuff that was attached to it, um, you know, because of and, you know, our friend Diane Scream and you know all that stuff. So. The murder of Kathy Harold. Let's talk about the details of this. Um, you know, I mean, she was killed in a pretty brutal fashion. Uh, there's, I guess, a few suspects, but uh, and also kind of like what you guys maybe speculate might have happened and i definitely want to talk about that poem because you guys are doing a good job in presenting some supernatural aspects that i haven't really heard in a lot of true crime podcasts there's there's some interesting things uh, jason just as an aside these that, that you depict in the graphic novel did you actually have some of these dreams um those those things actually those those were pretty much totally fabricated uh, for the graphic novel. There wasn't, um, I did have individual dreams about Kathy. Not many, but there was a couple. But for the most part, like as far as the justices went or the uh, the series of suicides, I don't remember anything like that. It was mostly that part of it was really just for uh, a framing effect. You know? Right. And, and so the Kathy, she was... Um we get into a lot of detail in the podcast about her. So she, mm-hmm. unfortunately her, her father passed away a year before uh, while they were in Mexico of a heart attack and it, she, she took it hard. Uh, it was, it was a difficult time for her and she was 14 to 15 years old and uh, she started rebelling, you know, as a, you know, a consequence and of that death. And, you know, I think that's just like we were saying before, it's just part of initiation of youth. Right. Uh, she uh, starts hanging out with the metalheads, and um, she starts going back to the Snakeland area where everyone parties. Um, it seems, from all accounts, that Kathy is very um, socially active. She's got a lot of friends. She has boyfriends. So there's a lot going on there, right? So she's she's sped up her life, you know, probably from you know a quiet you know life to you know like. 100 miles per hour kind of thing and uh unfortunately one night um she she had a lot of strife at home with her mom and her sister and her sister was trying to help her out and we go into a lot of details how her sister was helping her at the time and you know she uh she seems like things are going better for her she's in therapy and her mom says oh yeah go out to the park with your friends well she never goes or if she does go to the park we don't know but she she goes to she she leaves at some point at at night and she never comes back home and uh the, the police or not the police don't find her the the some train yard workers find right. her uh right. on the tracks and she had been strangled and mm-hmm. uh I, I i believe she hit in the head too right jason yeah i mean it's it, there's, a, there's a lot of conflicting reporting initially because it's, it's all done by the um the smaller papers, like the town papers in the area, it's not done by the city, uh, city of Buffalo paper. Um, but as far as we can tell at the time, she was beaten about the face and head. 
and that uh, we don't know what caused it, but there was a gash uh, above. I think it was her right eye. Um, and then, of course, the uh, the I think was was she single legged or double Sing, single single legged? Sure. Yeah. Okay. She had been strangled mm-hmm. with a with a grot. Yeah, grot. Yeah. So, so. which and, is initially what led them to think that. Uh, it might have been Altimio Sanchez, but beyond beyond that one uh, aspect, they're just uh, the rest of it was just totally circumstantial. So, right, and so obviously she's in Snakeland. Snakeland's got pentagrams. It's got upside down crosses, six 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 written everywhere. Everyone automatically thinks Satanists did this, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of sets off the town from there. You know, from the you know the police. Uh, reacting and it's 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 and you it, we go through all these articles written by all the different newspapers at the time and what's crazy to me is that they don't even focus on Kathy I mean that's a side right. note that she had died and they focus on the satanism aspect and you're just like what are you I mean like like it's it's bizarre you know like if they handled the death on one side and then they did another article on satanism but they they just kind of like just push that all aside and then they just go right to the Satanism aspect. And that's what sold papers. I mean, yeah, yeah. right. It's exactly. True. It's I sensationalism. Mean, Absolutely. So, and uh, so it, that's, that's what takes this whole thing to a point where people gets, gets interested in it. But then the police never find anything or they don't, or if they do, it's never, publicly known and uh, as jason alluded to just a couple minutes ago um and timio sanchez when he was caught for all the past rapes and killings he had done uh he's labeled in the buffalo area as the bike path rapist bike uh, bike path uh, killer um that it looked like it could have been him and a lot of things really do look like could be him but um there's a lot of stuff like why why wouldn't they put that on? Like he's, he's been caught. He's in prison. He's never getting out. Why sure. wouldn't they've put Kathy's conviction onto him at that point? If it was like, this is obviously him. They couldn't prove it. He denied it. So. Right. right. Um, and this would have been, well, this would have been his first, his first murder. You right. know, essentially he was just a serial rapist up until a point. But if, if he had killed Kathy, Kathy would have been um, the first, as I said, you know, it's like his, his first murder. And in our way of thinking, you know, and we've discussed this at some length, and not because we wanted to, but because we just had to figure this all out. Um, it, just, it just seemed that if, you know, what we know about murder or what we know about an individual taking that step, going beyond you know, I'm not just rape, but he was a rapist. We get it, you know. But the thing was is that to go over here to actually murdering women was, um, you know, an, a, another step. And it just it just doesn't seem like the, the manner in which Kathy was murdered would have been that kind of a murder. It wasn't disordered. It wasn't like in disarray. It was pretty much a, you know, a pretty... Uh, laid out um you know tableau unfortunately but that that would indicate to to me or i think to anybody else that with that murder specifically we're looking at 
an organized and perhaps planned murder, you know, as opposed to what something that, you know, Sanchez would have just found himself into and then right. flipped out and, and killed her. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He works like not too far away from there. So that I think that was the main circumstantial evidence that they think that maybe he did it. But also... I mean, from that description, it kind of sounds like oh, that's uh, that kind of uh, makes me think about that. You know, could it possibly could it have been a possibility that it was someone she knew, and that she was kind of lured into a sense of complacency by this person? Sure, sure. I mean, I think uh, I think without uh, without going too too far down down that road. I mean, I think both Aaron and I believe that. Uh, that may that may well be the case, and one of the reasons, again, may not be the most rational, but has to do with, you know, what we're reading from the from the poem from Kathy, and that you know again, uh, m- most most uh, regular folks or folks who are not uh, interested or don't ha- put any uh, put any real stock in uh, the paranormal. You know, um, probably wouldn't take it very seriously, but um, I th- I should say that both both of us have found um, differing elements in in that dream specifically, but just in the other stuff just surrounding. Maybe you should explain the dream. Yeah, like how that comes about. Like what? Who has this dream after Kathy's death? Yeah, what is said? Oh, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, no, no, no. Absolutely. Um, Basically, um, the individual who had the dream about Kathy after Kathy's murder uh, was a lady by the name of Diane Tesmer. And she was Kathy's, uh, she was her tutor. I don't know specifically what, uh, what subject it was, but, but she, was, she was tutoring her. And so this would be an individual that wasn't really close with emotionally, but at the very least, you know, that they knew each other, okay? And then the one night, uh, Diane had a dream about Kathy, where Kathy was wandering around some, it wasn't, it wasn't snake land specifically because Diane, you know, didn't have any experience with snake land, she said, and, you know, couldn't have imagined it, but um, she said it was industrial. And, um, and as she wanders around, um actually i don't i don't have the book within easy reach give me one second i'll grab it and we can go through the you don't have it do you aaron 
Uh, uh, Adam has it right there. <laughs> you you want to you want to read the poem? Uh, yeah. Let me find it. Uh, I think it's a little bit towards the guys. Uh, it's almost yeah. the end. Almost the end. Yeah, it's yeah. broken. It's broken up over a few a few panels, but yeah. Okay, so you better read it spooky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> put a little put a little reverb on that. So or I'll, try I'll, to sound uh, like a teenage girl. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I might. I, I might try. You know. Um. So. I'll just read it from here. Soon after Hannah had been murdered, Donna had a dream about her. Hannah was in her typical head uniform, denim vest, black concert t-shirt, tight stonewashed jeans, strappy black boots, but her eyes were silvery scratches. Like when someone would escape something out on a Polaroid, or scrape something out on a Polaroid or a piece of movie film. She walked along a concrete wall in a place that wasn't Snakeland, but was kind of industrial like Snakeland. She started talking to Donna, and this is what she said. So, the cats create, anticipate. There's six of them and one of me. But they'll all die, then I am free. Cats and rats have heart attacks. And they all die, and we all die, and they all live, and we all live. But snakes don't die, they multiply and shed their skins and say goodbye. So that's the poem and a little bit sure, of the setup there. Sure thing. And that is verbatim, right, Jason? Like you that uh, is exactly what Diane No, no, it's not. No, oh, okay. no. In fact I totally no, I totally I I gotta admit it, I I did it from memory and then I totally just like rewrote it. Uh and I didn't I wasn't thinking at the time, Adam. I was trying to pull a fast one on you there, but um but uh, the whole ending with uh the snakes that didn't exist in the original poem. Um, the, the main thing that the poem gave us was, um, in the, in the first part of that, um, I say that, uh, the cats create, anticipate. There's, I say six, but it's actually three. There's three of them and one of me. And, um, what that, what that began, uh, us thinking during this part of it was making a connection to uh, there's a, there's there's a several times over the course of the various articles about Kathy's murder where they talk about uh, giving a lie detector test to three individuals or um, you know like just you know taking three individuals in for uh, for questioning that sort of thing. Excuse me. So that number keeps coming back up, and then uh, later on in in it uh, was the uh, the larger number. I think it was uh, uh, it was eight to ten kept coming up in the uh, in the articles where one of the uh, one of the uh, police officers kept talking about the uh, sorry, the eight individuals that were yeah yeah absolutely active that were like the ringleaders in Snakeland right the hardcore Satanists you know the guys that actually believed hardcore. in us <laughs> so. It, at, the, at the time that we first heard this, um, we didn't have any knowledge of the articles or anything along those lines. Um, pretty much it was all just about uh, the rats and the cats and, you know, like basically like who, who did what, like, you know, like the cats were the ones maybe who planned the murder and, you know, the rats were the ones that actually, you know, did it and that sort of thing. But... Uh, since since Aaron and I started plugging away at this thing, 
um, it's really been just the uh, the numbers that have kept popping up that have made us think that there's there's something to that. Um, some we're actually further along than others. You know, as far as like the the three the three individuals, we think we might actually have something there. Um, but the uh, the eight you know number of like hardcore Satanists, not as much, not as much. Um, but it uh, it's still it's one way or the other. It's 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 fascinating just to think that there was even the possibility because uh, Diane was not a person who uh, was prone to exaggeration, was prone to, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, supernatural thinking, just like math and science type person. Um, so when she did, you know, write down the poem when she woke up and then gave it to her boyfriend, Jason, who then gave it to uh, all of us, you know, basically her friends, uh, his, his friends. Um, it was just, it was, there was a, there was, there was a lot to, uh, lot to take into account at that point. And we just, you know, we just didn't have it at, at, at back. And, and she had been, um, Kathy's teacher. Uh, a tutor. 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 Okay. So she had been a tutor. Had, had Kathy been known to write poetry when she was alive? So... The, the, what we do know is that Kathy was taking guitar lessons from a, um, he, he's not nationally known, but he, in the area, he was kind of like the big rock star. His name, Mark Freeland. And he was like this like weird conglomeration. Apparently he hung out with Johnny Thunders, which was cool. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's, he's just weird. Conglomer- yeah. He's, he's yeah. weird conglomeration of like a Mick Jagger, Bowie, punkish but just it's really weird just an odd guy right very very odd i seen him in concert uh, quite a few times over the years and he's entertaining i don't you know like i don't know if i would go out and buy all his records but but mm-hmm. so he was kind of like a big deal at the time you know and he was doing a lot of shows and he was giving her lessons so she was definitely artistic um i'm just not sure like like if she did anything serious other than that so right if she was actually writing songs or then you know that would fit into it but but i would think any girl who could pick up a guitar probably was writing a song i mean i would i think yeah yeah, pretty much anybody who uh, could pick up a guitar usually would be writing. and you said that some of the members of green jello knew her yeah yeah they were they were uh they were friends with uh her sister and uh, and her sister kind of, I think, uh, kind of brought them along, brought Mark Freeland along to kind of help Kathy through uh, what was, you know, an incredibly difficult period. Um, you know, it's funny because we kind of forget the fact that Kathy's sister was also going through a pretty terrible time as well right, as right. her mother. You know, it's just that it's pretty apocalyptic when, you know, your you know, dad just has a heart attack in another country. You know, it's pretty pretty tough to get over you know and um but but again her sister was really trying and as i said she knew she knew local uh local freaks local uh local musicians you know whatever um and uh wanted to influence her in a good way you know and and i think honestly is really really noble of her in that and that's why they do that it's just that that's a good big sister 
yeah. I mean, totally. But it, it, didn't, it didn't. Green Jello is a definite uh, blast from my high school years. That's that's. <laughs> Who can forget the claymation uh, videos, you know? And, and they were just a band that was in the Kenmore Buffalo area. And you just kind of like took it as like, okay, these guys. And then when they hit the national, you're just like, what? I remember they had to change their name because Jello was copyrighted. So they had to change it to Green Jelly. Green Jelly. Jelly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. When, so I, when, I, when I saw the Ramones, they, they opened for them. And they were not like the claymation band at that point. They were, they were just really um <laughs> incredibly bizarre and a lot of uh, creative uh, costume making and that kind of thing so i mean i guess that kind of that kind of showed for the future but you know the music was pretty you know when you're when your bassist only has one string you, you kind of know that the music is not really your primary focus <laughs> i'm gonna be honest but yeah but yeah getting back to yeah so kathy she had some she had some like good people around her trying to help her mm-hmm. through this. Um, unfortunately, I think she had a other foot in an area where people probably didn't have her best interest. Um, were trying to take advantage of her and do whatever they wanted, you know, and what spurred on her killing is a different story. It's, you know, I think it has a lot to do with uh, their mindset, you know, other than hers. Like, I, I think she was just looking to be with friends you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and, and she, unfortunately just, I think as Jason said in the podcast, she just had an incredible string of bad luck. Well, you guys are, are looking at the poem as a possible clue to who murdered her. That's kind of where I'm, so I, I was curious if you guys have ever, that actually, um, jogged my memory about, uh, this is actually a very famous paranormal case. Uh, the Teresita Bossett case. Have you ever heard of that? Um, I don't was, believe so. This was a case where this was a case where a ghost actually was instrumental in catching her own murderer. Uh, so Teresita Bossa was a Filipino nurse that lived in Chicago. This was, I think, late seventies, maybe early eighties. I remember the first time I ever saw this was on Unsolved Mystery, so take it back to the 80s there for a second. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, this is well documented. She actually appeared, she was murdered mysteriously. Uh, uh, it looked like like the, her apartment had been set on fire. Um, she had, then her ghost started to appear to this other Filipino nurse that barely knew her. And she said, I'm Teresita Basa, this person killed me. And to kind of make a long story short, you know, they got the, this lady went to the police. They, they confronted this, this, this guy and said that, you know, he, you know, they kind of turned the screws on him and he confessed to doing it. It sounds uh, actually now vaguely familiar. I I think I have heard the story, but it's back in some old brain cells that are. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very compelling, it's actually a very, very compelling paranormal case. And and, and that I, you know, when Jason, so like we, when we talk about it in the podcast, you know, uh, we, we kind of gave the, you know, caveat. It's like, Hey, like maybe this means nothing to you. This is just a weird dream. But to me, I feel like it has something, at least it'd be wonderful to think that maybe Kathy reached out to Diane, the, you know, and some point and just try to give her some message you know i who you know who knows but um 
but it was powerful enough that Diane felt that she had to write this poem down uh, from her dream. I mean, I don't know any of us, most of us might write something down when you wake up or, or, or think about something, but usually you don't like dwell on it. You're just like, you roll over. and like, man, that was a weird dream, you right. know? Um, but she felt this is like important, like a message that she had to write down. And then, you know, she shares with her boyfriend, she shares it, and the boyfriend shares it with Jason and others. So, you know, I think it, it's gotta mean something. Um, and then when we look into the articles and we see, yes, you know, they're questioning three people there. It looks like there's eight ringleaders of this satanic thing. So like, does it mean something? I don't know, but, Diane didn't know any of that stuff probably beforehand, you know, so these we're, we're combining all these articles together, but at the time, you know, like you, you probably don't read every article that comes out on the paper. So, you know, we're giving it everything condensed, you know, it's not stretched out between months. So, and, uh, I, you know, I, it, 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 it seems more powerful when you, when you look back yeah. in retrospect. Well, it may just serve as like an oracle that leads you to places of things that are more concrete, no matter how concrete the actual poem is or the origin of it, et cetera. Um, you know, the use of the other in research, uh, the, the method may seem very unscientific, very weird, non-material to people, but those methods can lead you to actual concrete things. It's, I mean, no. it, it, I, I don't doubt that. And I, you know, I think um, you can start finding, uh, it might spur a thought or even like a, a direction while yeah. you're looking at stuff. So um, mm -hmm. we have that information and um, I, I think it was worth sharing during the podcast and in the book, um, the graphic novel. But I mean, maybe that can give us some more direction as time progresses, because this is still something we're still, you know, bringing together information. So. Right, right. And I mean, that's the thing, too, is that, I mean, both of us, obviously, because we're doing this, I mean, we would like to help uh, bring Kathy's murderer to justice, of course. I mean, I think anybody doing this type of work would... Uh, would you know would want that but at the same time you know i i don't know what the chances of that are you know i don't know uh you know again if this is a 35 year old murder you know i don't know i don't know what the case is but i do know that uh i think we've done the best possible job of putting together the available information and that that continues through the through the uh the rest of the podcast um but it's, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that, you know, of course, I think, I think we're, giving, we're giving people the best possible shot as far as saying, oh, I was, I was there. Oh, three guys. Oh, you know, whatever it might be that jogs something that, you know, kind of brings this to a close. But I'm also not arrogant enough, and I, don't, I know Aaron isn't you know, to think that, you know, oh, we're going to do it where everyone else failed. We're going to do it. You know, I mean, we're going to try, we're going to try to put everything out there that we can to make things right. But yeah. And, uh, we'll do it. and, and as I've expressed before on the podcast is that I, I would love that this to be solved. You know, I think that's important, but the other thing is 
this isn't a historical document mm-hmm. I look at. It's a podcast and, and the graphic novel. I mean, we changed the names in the graphic or Jason does uh, at the time. Um, so we're, yeah. but I look at this historical document because I just find it bizarre that people don't know these things. And, you know, this is, you know, right in your own neighborhood. And yeah. as I get older, I find it odd that I, you know, and I don't consider myself, you know, yeah, brilliant by any chance of the imagination, but that I know things about history that most people don't about their own community. And I'm just like, how do you not know this? Like, you know, it's in, you know, okay, this is like a dark side of it, but that's the problem is people just turn away from the dark side. Um, you guys, you guys had some great guests, you know, uh, talking about the whole QAnon uh, aspect, uh, some podcasts back. And, you know, that has direct relations to the satanic panic. It's like, the, it's a, it's a, everything's just, you know, recycled and rehashed and stuff like that. If you don't know your past, you're just going to see the same things over and over again. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just how that's, maybe that's life. You know, I don't know, but um, you got to give something out there. Like I said, in this podcast is a historical document for, f- for our community. Well, what's real, what's a, an additional tragedy to her death itself is that, like, the satanic panic probably contributed to them not finding out who did it. And and even things like the McMartin preschool case and things like that, if there was actual abuse, you know, we talked about this before, those, those, those terrible, uh, motivated, you know, pseudo psychologists getting in there and, and just messing up all the testimony actually might've covered up something real that happened because it got so lost in the sauce of just bullshit. And, you know, and that, and that's what's going on today. We, we know that there is, you know, crazy human trafficking, going on 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 gigantic proportions and internationally but people are looking for boogeymen that don't exist you know among politicians and and hollywood people instead of like the actual stuff going on in their backyard mm-hmm. absolutely yeah right. and it's it's it's, it's that shiny object that they're going to go after you know sure or, or as adam said before i think it was adam was saying before it's like the satanic aspect of it is what sold the newspapers yeah. it wasn't kathy's murder right and that's right. and that's what that's what perpetuated it but i mean i think we got to ask ourselves then um what why did everybody believe when the satanic panic was going on when confronted with stuff that was so absolutely outlandish like you know these kids in mcmartin talking about being flown on a plane to some cowboy's castle where they then were, you know, sexually molested. And I mean, like these types of things where that, you know, key, I can't remember her last name now, but essentially the, the, um, the lead on that, on that project, as far as, as, uh, you know, essentially filling the kids that nonsense. But um, what was it with the adults that we wanted to believe in Satan so bad that we were going to ignore the modern world and just say like we're we think this was all caused by satan the actual you know the actual devil and and now you look at QAnon, and it's it's more or less uh similar in the in the respect that there's still it some of only some of it seems to actually uh you know like involve satan 
But, you know, as far as the rest of it goes in terms of just madness, it's right up there, man. I mean, it's like, you know, 9-11 didn't happen. There's a pizzeria where pederast Democrats meet. And, you know, like, I mean, it's crazy. But there's people out there that I'm hoping at least are smart enough to know better, but there's something they want to believe. There's part of it mm-hmm. that they just are embracing just the same way people did with with uh with with satan you know i mean as much as satan is a big part of what we do and especially the the iconography of 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 what we do um i mean as far as actual belief in satan um i i don't really i don't really have much at all i don't know if aaron does at all anymore either i believe there's evil um i believe there i don't know if it's a a bot embodied evil um i believe there's definitely um I believe there's some kind of force out there that can obviously make people do terrible things. Now, whether that's a spirit that can actually make people murder or, or do terrible things, that's a different story. But um, I, I do believe there's, there's a darkness on things. And, and hmm. you, in certain, um, if you put yourself in a bad headspace, uh, you could get tapped into stuff that maybe you shouldn't be tapped into. So um and I think that has a lot to do with um, kind of revert, going back to, especially what Sir was saying at the time, you know, you have this, you know, like um, industrial decay, um, you have just this loss of traction of like, this is the life path you're supposed to go on and all the stuff like that. These kids have no direction. Um, we get into a little bit in the podcast, a, a touch, and maybe we'll talk about it more, but I see, you know, especially in the 80s, uh, women were going to work more. And so you had all of a sudden the family's dynamics were changing. So there was a lot of, you know, people had a lot of like concerns how things were happening. Uh, and then we talked about in the graphic now, but I'm sure we'll talk about it in the podcast in the future. But, you know, we had nuclear destruction. People were scared of that shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was going to happen, <laughs> you know, like, so, uh, you were sure of it at the time. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, you talked about the 13 o'clock, you talked about the, um, um, the movie, um, it's threads, blanking on it. threads. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like people were d- definitely scared. So all this, and so you're like, okay, so maybe I have a couple years at best, you know, before, you know, the world comes to an end before I have to work in the factory, you know, all this stuff. So you're going to do some crazy stuff. Uh, and if you're maybe in a bad home or if you're in a bad, you know, just, or, or abusive uh, upbringing, maybe you put yourself in a very dark place mentally. And when you get around these kids, you know, uh, other kids and you're doing the satanic stuff, you hook onto this and, you go full bore into it. Well, I think when we look at these moral panics and we look at something like um, satanic panic in the eighties or QAnon now, I think you're dealing with a few things. I mean, I think number one, I mean, I think religion is a very powerful thing and it definitely influences this whole, those, those two things. And also I look at it as being a melodramatic explanation to explain a, otherwise chaotic world and uh, you can see that perfectly in that uh, sons of sam documentary because not only is that about you know the ideas of mari terry but it's also about him 
and how Mari Terry began to see all this stuff as a big, gigantic conspiracy, much more than it really was. And I think a lot of it was his own, him trying to explain why the world was just so damn crazy. And why the, why all this crazy shit happened in the 60s. Oh, it must have been the Process Church. It must have been the Manson family. It must have been all these... Somebody was orchestrating this from afar. And he just got caught up in that. And it's like you, people want to have this kind of structured, easily easy-to-look-at, chaotic, non-chaotic plan structured thing i remember when covid was really getting started i mean the q and people were going crazy and they were talking about how you know this is the storm this is it you know and i honestly was like hey i really hope it is because that's a, a better alternative than what is actually happening <laughs> <laughs> but they just wanted to explain it in the, like this is this is a plan there's no need to worry you know, and but it wasn't a plan. There was no plan. It was just chaos. It is easier when you see uh, when you have a narrative to frame everything, mm-hmm. and it makes it so much. Um, you can you can put all the the blocks in place, and it sort of frames up. That's the problem too with a lot of this. Is you know, yeah, I even like me and Jason talked on the phone. I think it was yesterday uh, mm-hmm. that you know I fear that we could re- start reading into things that just because we have our own narrative. Uh, that sure. might be incorrect. So that's right. something we have to like, kind of like check ourselves and be, you know, kind of cool headed and, and, and step back once in a while. And like, does this make sense? Or am I just getting a little too, you know, weird about this? So uh, I think all that stuff is like, you know, uh, that Maury Terry, he started seeing, you know, Satanists in a soup kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was seeing it everywhere. So, um, I think he had some valid points. I watched that. I was kind of blown away. I, there's a lot of stuff I did not know about that. So I, I was blown away, but he obviously just went, took it way too far. It was, there was a lot going on that obviously was a stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And his stuff really fueled the satanic panic. I mean, it really did. I mean, you know, he was, he was on those same TV talk shows, just, you know, talking about, his stuff with the guy that also was talking about how like he-man was 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 a satanic tool and you know so that's well that's the problem with that kind of stuff is that because i remember seeing that part of uh sons of sam and being really impressed with how they edited it because it just it just looked you can see like how how crestfallen maury terry was at that point because it's like i'm on here with these idiots talking about he-man you know or just or you know again (laughs) You know, like, and, uh, yeah. but unfortunately it's just, it's, uh, you, you, you end up in some really bad company when you're, when you're, when you're going that far. And I think like we need to, me and him, Aaron, uh, need to, uh, keep this in mind because again, the, the dream might be something that could be key to, um, maybe actually finding something out or it might just be a dream that somebody had about Kathy. And before we start going down that, that Maury Terry, um, you know, kind of, you know, spiral, you know, it is the kind of thing that we should, we should definitely check ourselves with. Yeah. I I guess it's important to just stay out of chapel perilous all you can. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. So that's, that's the thing is that you start like everything looks 
bizarre, but you're also, you know, questioning everything. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's it, but I mean, the problem is we're like Jason said before, we're talking about a 35 year old murder. A lot of this information is very old. I don't, I honestly wonder, you know, Jason has directly, you know, talk with the authorities on this. I mean, they, like, I wonder how competent they are with the material and evidence that they have. I know they probably do have some. Uh, Jason, you know, has put Freedom of Information Acts, tried to get information about Kathy's death, and, you know, he's gotten nowhere, stopped on that. And because the, the, they reopened the case, basically, at the beginning of uh, 2020. And I was going to ask you whether it was an open case still, yeah. Yeah, and they're able to uh, to fob it off uh, due to that, unfortunately. Anyway, well, I, I, I mean, cold case murders have been solved. Uh, you know, I, I hate to keep bringing it up, but again, you know, like the end of that documentary series. I mean, you know, Arliss Perry. I mean, they found the guy. You know, granted, he shot himself before, but they're before they could catch him, but they're very sure that that was it. And then, you know, the guy was in his seventies and I mean the, uh, the golden state killer, you know, he, you know, he got caught, you know? So if there's DNA and especially with all this, like 23 and me and all this stuff, I mean, that's how East area rapist got caught, you know? Yep. Yep. So I, at, at any time, I mean, if there was something, you know, if there was some material that they found or they collected or a hair or whatever, you know, who knows? I mean, it could, it, it could happen any time now with the technology. I would hope this person would probably, if they were a teen, one of the teenagers, they'd probably be maybe late forties, early fifties. Now they'd be in their fifties by now. Yeah, um, absolutely. uh, I mean, uh, just, and to dial back what we were talking before, you know, that's how Antonio Sanchez, the bike path, you know, rapist was was found. They but they were watching him. The police suspected him, and they f- they took what uh, some silverware? No, it was a straw or something like that. They, they mm-hmm. from a restaurant. They they yanked the straw and they got his DNA off of that, and then it just linked to all these rapes that he did mm-hmm. before. So, I mean, yep. it's all you need. Like literally, just one thing could break to open a whole case, and 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 you know all these terrible crimes are are you know right. are figured and, out and he was a real piece of work i mean didn't he like or didn't he kill somebody and then organize like the charity event for them or something he oh, ran in the charity of it yeah in the remembrance run for this woman wow. so so like the bike path is this amherst bike path that's outside of buffalo and you know people bike they they run you know rollerblade all that stuff walk their dogs and you know it's he he would just hide out in the bushes and just attack these women. It's awful. And obviously he killed this, he killed this one woman there. And then Mm -hmm. they started organizing this like remembrance run for her. And he would just jump in and be part of it. I mean, just so number 26 and get on in there. So I mean, it's just, it's just disgusting that this guy, (laughs) I mean, like I, 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 he just, it was so awful that he, what he did. And then, He's on just top like, of that, and then he's like, "Let's make it even worse." I'm like, "What?" You can hear it in the uh, in the podcast where we're talking about this, where where really me and Aaron just kind of fall apart, you know, as far as like, all right, you know, this guy's just human garbage, you and, know, and we I, can talk about this rationally now. 
I edited a lot of that uh, different parts, but there were parts where it honestly, it would kind of make like not vomit noise, but it's just like parts where we're just like, oh, like just like we're just like right. we're just talking about recounting. It's like this just gets worse and worse because this guy is so disgusting. Uh, right. And it, like Jason and I, we didn't even want to talk about him because it had we don't feel it has a lot to do with Kathy, but she's got tied in with that. And But then we felt like we have to tell that story because people probably don't know who he is. If you're not from the Buffalo right. area, you're just like, okay, it's just another wacko, you know, kind of thing. So, right. And you got to rule him out if, if, if he's going to, if people still, and there's a lot of people in Western New York that still believe that if they know who Kathy Harold is, that uh, Sanchez is the one who killed her. You know, and, and it's just, no, that's just, you know, the name got out there and, and that's kind of what happened. It's an easy answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, we just, we didn't want to talk about it because it's just, in, I mean, like the, the, the other stuff at least is fascinating. There's nothing fascinating about rape. You know, I mean, sincerely, it just, I don't know. I mean, that, that's my feeling. I don't know. You may want to. No, I don't think if, if, if as long as you're in right head, you're in his base, that's. You shouldn't be fast. So what are you guys planning on covering next on the show? Uh, next episodes, we're talking about suicides, right? Yeah, yeah. This would be this would be the uh, the suicides of uh, of Kenmore West, primarily uh, in the year between 1985 1986. Um, there was there was at least five during that period. We found now. Yeah, we only talk about three in the actual graphic novel, but that's all I could remember. But as it turned out, looking at the articles and stuff, and Aaron made this point earlier, that you, uh, you know, you just, you just, uh, you get so much more, so you know, after the fact, looking back on this stuff and being able to put things together. Um, Suicide clusters, I think they call it. You got it. You got it. I mean, it would, it would only make sense. I mean, I know there's been a lot more in recent years that are closer together. You know, let's say that take place over the course of like two weeks or three weeks, and that. And that does that does make uh, make uh, you know news headlines, but um, in this case it was bare minimum. Other people have talked about more than uh, more than the five, and um, it just you know we don't have any um, any real. Uh, we've got you know like a pretty a pretty solid timeline, but you know I wouldn't rule out um, more than that. So, but anyway, that's the focus of the next. And then we jump into the episode after they were jumping into John Justice and telling that story. Because yes, in John Justice, like we, we've talked a couple times about him already in this podcast, he uh, murdered his family. But what's odd about it, he lived right across the street from this place called Mang Park. Mang Park was where Kathy was supposedly supposed to have gone, uh, mm-hmm. where she, and then she disappeared. And it literally... If you look down his street, you would see the buildings, the green elevators of Snakeland. It was right there. There was like, so we're not saying that's connected. He was connected Mm -hmm. with the Snakeland thing, but it's just this whole overarching, you know, thing happening that we're just like, it's it's interesting. It's a mill. It's a mill. You yes. Thank you. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a mosaic. Yeah. Well, this has been very interesting, guys. Where uh, where can they find the podcast, and where can they find the graphic novel if they want to? 
Well, you can go to the uh, our, our website, which is returntosnakeland.com. Uh, you can look for Return to Snakeland on podcast. Uh, we should be up on most platforms now. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, and, and you can email us, uh, especially if you have if you hear this and you have any information about any of this that we've been talking about. We would love to hear from anybody. Uh, you can re- uh, email us at returntosnakeland at gmail.com. Okay. Excellent guys. All right. We're going to, we're going to do a Patreon uh, episode with you, but we're going to talk about some of the music that you guys talk about in the, in the graphic novel. So, so. all right. All right. Thank you guys. Uh, Thank you. Obviously stay on the line for us and we will be right back to close out the show. and get spirit normal. Okay, welcome back, guys. Uh, it's very normal. We're just going to close out the show here. Uh, that was a very interesting uh, interview with Aaron O'Brien and Jason Guzman uh, about uh, the Return to Snakeland podcast now. And, it's uh, highly recommended by us. Yep, highly recommended. If you guys haven't heard it, heard it, it is um, an excellent show. These guys discuss everything that uh you heard here tonight and also more so check them out and it's just anywhere you know you can find podcasts so uh that's return to snake land true um, crime with uh paranormal elements yeah that's yeah it best. definitely has some paranormal elements of which we discuss and i'm sure that they'll get into more of those as well as time goes on um just real quick guys we want to remind everybody that uh Strange Realities 2021 is coming up in October, October 15th, 16th through 17th. And we have 21 speakers. And I just realized <laughs> that uh, it's 2021 and we got 21 speakers. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we are going to have a really good time. And uh, just to run down the list here, who's, who's, here's who we have. Tim Banal, Nathan Isaac, Brent Rains, Dr. Future is coming back. P.D. Newman, Ren Collier, Steve Stockton, who we had on last week. Aaron Gullius, Amy Petula, Jose Herrera, Chris Ernst, Recluse, otherwise known as Steven Snyder, Kiki Dombrowski, David Metcalf, the great Alan Greenfield, Timothy Renner, Michael Hughes, Joshua Cutchin, Soraya from Where Did the Road Go, Heather Mosher, and Dr. Stephen Finley. So we're, that's a mouthful, but we are very happy to uh, have all these people. Not everyone will be in Nashville. They will be uh, streaming, some will be streaming from their homes, but we hope to have at least maybe half of those people here on site in Nashville. And please, in October. And if you are fans of those individuals, please encourage them to come so that you can meet them in real life. That's right. And we are uh, to come to actually be attending in person. It is $70. Online is $30. Um, consider coming out, guys. It's going to be an interesting time, even though you could just watch it at home, but uh, you will not have the full experience. Some things will not be streamed yeah you'll really have access to everybody um, i don't think any anyone in that lineup is very hollywood and um they'll be very accessible and it's all about those hallway conversations right and that's october 15th 16th through 17th we're going to talk about that more next week when we have tim banal and aaron gullius on the show we kind of do our official 
kick off. But uh, strangerealitiesconference.com, you guys can see the the new logo for the 2021 is up there, and also uh, there on the front page, right under the banner, there is a link that you can go and you can buy tickets. So check those out as soon as possible. Also, Patreon we have available if you guys want to support the show. There's some perks that you have, and Sergio could tell you about that. Well, at patreon.com slash conspiranormal, you can uh, catch a new Patreon episode every week, which we just did one with the Return of Snakeland guys, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the soundtrack to Return to Snakeland, and we'll have a link uh, up for that for everybody as well. Uh, but they really go into depth about a lot of the music and kind of subcultural landscape that was going on at the time that uh, surrounded everything that happened there. And um, at the uh, next level, a $10 level, every month we've been having these really cool uh, meetings of our mystic crew, and we have presentations at them. So if you're like a fan of Strange Realities, you like uh, getting some exclusive uh cutting-edge research of different uh, friends of the show and presenters. You can get that for only $10 a month. Get to hang out and talk with everybody. Get access to some of your favorite uh, conspiranormal guests. And at the $20 level, the top of the Holy Mountain is the ancient circle of strange realities. And uh, you will be giving all, all the secrets, the final secrets of the Illuminati and uh, access to the secret chiefs and a VIP experience at the Strange Realities 2020, both in person and virtually 2021. 2021. And, uh, yeah, so patreon.com slash conspiranormal. All right, absolutely. Okay, guys, uh, we're going to sign out, but uh, join us next time. We're going to have uh, Tim and all and... Uh Aaron Gullius, we're just gonna have a good time. Talk to you later on Conspiranorm. If you would like to help the show, please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com and please check out our YouTube channel Conspiranormal Podcast At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.